Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi and hello and oi to football and football fans alike. Welcome to the Dave Damashek football program available as always on iTunes, Stitcher and at NFL.com slash Sheck. As you may have gathered from that uh, little impromptu intro, we've decided to go back for seconds. We before the kickoff, is that what it's called? The kickoff That is called the kickoff in the uh, in the World Cup. We decided to do a little preview for it. So well-received was it, and so enjoyable was it for us to do, we've decided to do one now that round one is just about in the books, but not entirely for the U.S. or others. As you heard the voice, he's back here now. It is, as you know, if you listen to the Around the League podcast, the former producer over there, our pal still, it's the gold standard, Zach Goldman. How are you, fellow? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Chef. What a pleasure to see you. Oh, and I see, and I see you also wore the uh, the Netherlands orange jersey or I did. kit, which I recently tweeted is the finest in the entire World Cup field. You know, I knew it was your favorite. I decided to get all dolled up, and TD likes it too. He said it's one of his favorites. In their so. first, well, TD, no one knows, but of no, course, TD. Me is black tie, black tie. and uh, as usual he's not behind the glass because we are in our makeshift studio while studio 66 gets jazzed up for its new reveal it will soon be not just studio 66 it'll be studio 66 maximum strength in the meantime we're here or just in studio, new studio 66 well, either way, but I like uh, things that are jazzy. There you heard his cynical voice already. It's black tie. What's the poop with you, fellas? What's going on, guys? I'm feeling good, actually. You know Why? Uh, What's to feel good yeah. about? Well, the Niger- U.S. is down. Well, my first international team, Nigeria, we finally won our first World Cup game since 98. I and, saw that, uh, that and I thought it was win. classy of me to, to tweet you about that it. Was, I was very, very grateful. I was, you know, just feeling... Complete elation. It was awesome. I like their uniforms, too. They weren't too bad. Uh, a little bit too light green for me. The 98 and 94 World Cup uniforms are a lot darker. I like the darker greens. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Let me say this before anything else because this is uh, pretty fun. Our, our little foolishness of talking about football, a.k.a. soccer, a.k.a. the beautiful game. I don't know if it's foolishness, though. No, if it's you not remember, silly. Well, we did s- the World Cup pod, yeah. and then after that, I don't know if you guys saw it, every NFL team on Twitter – Started getting in on oh. the World Cup action. Hashtag. So you think everybody, everybody yeah. got red in the about. face after they heard yeah. the three of the great uh, pro football minds in the U.S. talk about the beautiful game. Wait, we better jump in on this. Yeah, yeah. It looks we look prescient now because now all the U.S. of A. is on board in a way that I said the other day, and I'll say it again now. In my lifetime, I cannot recall, and, and I don't ask this rhetorically, Tell me where. Tell me the other instance of this. Where has America collectively jumped in on something that a fortnight ago nobody talked about? Now, listen, I know people. I know there's the MLS, and I know that they pack that Seattle uh, stadium for it, and I know there are pockets around the country that, that care, and I know, obviously, Gold Standard and Black Tie, your two examples of guys who, who follow it faithfully throughout the year and all the different leagues and everything, but you know what I'm saying. For the, you know, it's crossed over into being something 
iconic. I think we will look back on these days and say, wow, that was because, you know, what was it? 94 is when it felt like it hit when there was the goalie for the U.S. who was really good. Tony Tony Miola, who went on to kick or try to kick for the Jets and whatever that that felt. And then that really launched the MLS. In fact, that's what I think that was the inspiration behind it. Right. Yeah. We actually had to create a domestic league because we had the rights to the World Cup. So in 1996, they launched MLS, and then, yeah, it's grown ever since then but pretty what, steadily. what in America has captured the fancy the way – I mean, these these viewing parties are downright patriotic. And listen, it's an excuse to go out and cheer and, and have some drinks and be with your chums and, and get excited about something. And it's very nice. It's hard to be cynical about something in a, in, in a nation, obviously, that seems split down the middle, that this is one of those things. People say – cynics will say – well, it's so sports. That's what sports does. Yes, that's exactly what sports does. Remember, well, remember, you two weren't born yet, and it would be years, uh, many years later that you, either one of you visited the planet Earth. But I remember as a child in 1980 when the U.S. beat the Soviets in hockey. This was a rallying point for our nation. You know, I don't know how much weight you can put in it as you transitioned out of the ugly 70s into a brighter 80s. I don't know how much stock, but it certainly meant a great deal to. The country at the time. Everybody was very patriotic. And so it is now, I feel. And we're two games in at the time of this recording. And what I wanted to say before is that uh, to legitimize our silliness here, Black Tie, Julius Thomas of the Denver Broncos and apparently a big soccer fan or football fan is going to be joining us in a matter of minutes. That's going to be fun. Two quick things. Yeah, see, he's been tweeting all tournament. Every game, he's on there. He's, you know, real-time tweets. So he's really into it. Apparently, he started following you. Maybe a couple of hours ago, right? Right, check. Yes, he okay. did. He, well, okay. because he knew because he knew he had the kibitz with me, and he's probably sussing out how dumb I am when it comes to football. But yeah. and he's probably now learned I know nothing, which is why I defer to you guys. I am here as the voice of the witless American wannabe fan. You guys have helped get me up to speed, so I knew a little bit for these first few games, and now I'll learn even more, as too will our listener. And, of course, a shout-out to our international listener. A lot of uh, a lot of people have dropped us a line to say that they really enjoyed it. They found the, uh, the quality of the conversation to be keener than expected, thanks, of course, to the two of you. I know nothing. So let's dig into it now. But real quick, is there any equivalent to, to the question I asked? What is... Well, I mean, I, when when American Idol hit the air, was it like that? That what, what's this TV show or like Lost? I mean, th- neither one of those equals this. I mean, the 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 audience for ESPN was the greatest non NFL or college football broadcast in the history of ESPN. Yeah. Consider they have Major League Baseball. They've had you know they've had they have NBA basketball. This is the biggest broadcast in history. That's uh, quite a thing. It's pretty incredible. And I think something that you said that I want to touch on is you use the term "wannabe fan," which traditionally is pejorative. But I think in this case, it's definitely yes. a positive. It's something where you actually want to be a fan, and that's something that really hasn't happened in years past. It's been sort of a trendy thing to maybe hop on the bandwagon for a game or two. But you get the sense that there's some kind of staying power here. It's not quite the same thing as the Olympics, where every four years people get excited about it. Certainly, there will be crests to that wave, but I think if there's any silver lining to, and we'll get to this later, what happened uh, yesterday at the time of this recording when the U.S. gave up a heartbreaking stoppage time equalizer to Portugal, um, as our colleague Greg Rosenthal brought up, um, it's that you really need those lows in order to cultivate an ardent fan base. So true. Great point. Yes, if it all comes too easy... Yeah, there's right. It, yeah. It, it it doesn't really carry over. You have to go through some. I often say that you know if you're one of these franchises, an ex, a, 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 an expansion franchise in any sport, you know the Jacksonville Jaguars and Carolina Panthers were in their conference title games. What was it? Their second seasons yeah. or was it their third seasons? Too soon. Too soon. You haven't earned it. In the Stanley Cup once, the finals matched up the Colorado Avalanche, who had just moved from Quebec, and the Florida Panthers, who were brand new themselves, maybe for like a two or three year. They were too, those. They hadn't been through enough pain to deserve this yet. They didn't know what they were looking at. Good point on that one, uh, Gold Standard. And I, you know, it's funny you say the Olympics too, because I feel like what the Olympics are supposed to be. That's what this World Cup feels like to me. I am very 
Um, I'm not just – I don't just find it fun as somebody who's rooting for the red, white, and blue. Watching Chile on Monday morning, their fan base so wild in the stands and the, the patriotism there and across the board. Everywhere you look, it's easy to see why people are so into it. And as I said, even on our preview World Cup podcast – I find the aesthetics of the sport lovely. It's just really following what's happening on the pitch that is that is maybe elusive for me. But there's no problem with me with the sounds and the chants and the colors of the the, the uniform on that big green field and the, the pacing of it and everything. I like all that stuff. It's just I, I don't exactly see why. Wait, Fabian, what's his name, is really good? He doesn't seem like he's doing a great deal in my book. Yeah, well, I, I just I want to say I think that's definitely a, a, a shrewd point because it's something where this is a sport that's so accessible. You can get 50% of it and feel like you're getting all of it to a certain extent. Like ah. You don't really need to know mm-hmm. the intricate minutiae of the game in order to really appreciate you know, whether it's the athleticism or the tactical side of it. There are sort of simplified levels of it. So you know, when the U.S. holds on, if they were to hold on against Portugal, you would have known that, okay, that was a great defensive performance you have held on. The fact that they gave up a goal at the end, you sort of knew how they let the back door open. You really, There are levels to soccer that are easily... Um, you know, accessible to to first time fans. No, definitely. They're, obviously, Zach, what uh, who watches all levels, you know, you testifies to the fact that you know there are different variations that you can just watch a good defensive performance. I mean, everyone talks about Team USA's, you know, tough tie, you know, tough Jordan, you know, this weekend. But look at Iran, Iran, Argentina. That totally. was just as heartbreaking, if not more, because they lost. You know, they didn't get any points from it, and they played Messi and Argentina to a standstill, almost, almost. Could have won that game. They had chances. They could have converted. And if they did, who knows? But Messi gets it right at death. So it's, I, I mean, wanna, well, I, you know. By the way, Messi is well. Messi is better than Ronaldo. Well, as we've talked about, most people We're gonna get say a lot that. Of calls about this one. Yeah. He is. You know what? You know what I thought of for the cross sport comparison. It seems to me Messi is Michael Jordan. Who people now maybe say the same, and Pele then would be I don't know Magic or or Wilt Chamberlain or whoever who you formerly held up as the best of all time, and now people are saying you know what Messi might be the best ever, he might be Michael Jordan, and then at the same time you have Ronaldo who is Kobe Bryant who's like I do pretty much all the same stuff. It's like yeah, but it's not quite as good, <laughs> not a, not as good. Here's why. Here's where I, here's where I see it. I, I mean, just from a historical point of view, I think Pele is the Michael Jordan of soccer. He's the kind of guy who's mostly seen untouched, except Maradona, of course, and you know some few others people throw in there. Right? It's kind of seen Pele as the guy who's mostly untouched. The thing with Messi is. He's sort of like I mean he's what about five two five three. He's, he is. Oh, he's, yeah. It depends on if he has uh, stilettos <laughs> yeah. on or not. But yeah, really? literally five foot two. Uh, no, he's taller than that, but he is very small. Uh, he, really... I mean, they they always point to the fact that he he took human growth hormone as a kid in order to grow to the size that he is now, which is about five 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 six, I believe. Yeah. And he <laughs> I had was. No idea yeah. So I mean, he could have legitimately been you know yeah. upper upper fours. In there's, terms of height. Well, there's something, there's something with Messi that's just like, for us normal folks, we just can't compre- comprehend how he does what he does. Like, his close control of the ball. Like, just the way he, it, he keeps it around his, his legs. It's so ridiculous. As opposed to Ronaldo. Ronaldo is more of a athletic marvel. You can, you can see why he does what he does. Because he's big, he's strong, he's fast. You know, shoots the ball with power, both feet. Messi, however, sort of has this, like... Cr- ridiculous touch where most people just don't have. Like, how do you control the ball in such traffic and such tight spaces and just use – he doesn't really use power. He just uses touch, touch and place, placement. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Explain so this one to me because Messi's goal in their second game, in Argentina's second game, second game when he rips that one in penalty time to – Injury time. In injury Close. time. Yeah. To stave off, I still don't like the way that injury time works. It's nonsense. They should have a hard, fast clock. It should be counting Uh, down. But all right, everyone wants to have a hard, fast clock. It's too loose. Here's the thing. Here, you know, one thing that people have what what the American eyeball. There are certain things that we've never seen. Whether you know, obviously. Basketball operates differently than football, than, and football operates differently than baseball. There's downtime on the field to play in baseball. So in between pitches, everybody in the field doesn't bend down and put their hands down ready, you know, in fielding position. So that's a, it, it feels more casual. Football, I mean, soccer feels more casual than anything because 
if the play gets away from them by like 20 feet, they just stop running sometimes. They just stop. Like, oh, yeah, that's, you oh, you handle that one. I got, I'm going to rest over here for a second. And the thing that everybody, all Americans who just start watching is, man, they, lay, they fake injuries. They lay on the field. My assumption with that is, correct me if I'm wrong, they're just resting. They're buying everybody <laughs> yeah, on the field well, a chance to rest a little bit. It's very tactical, right? whether it's trying to buy a foul, buy time. By no, the whistleblower. If it is a tactic to get a call, well, to get I don't a card, know. maybe to get like, oh, a to get card. a card. That makes um, sense because they because they blow the whistle instantaneously. Right, so it's like, what course. are you laying there for another ten minutes yeah. for? You the whistle's blown, fella. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's a tricky one. People do all sorts of things for different reasons, but I think the thing that you brought up is interesting because in baseball, no one would ever take your play at second base if you're you know make if you're the person whose sphere of influence, so to speak, that was in soccer. It's so much about that ability to take someone else's job off their own plate. So like in the U.S.'s game, for instance, they were marauding down the right side and poor DeMarcus Beasley, who's, you know, in his mid-30s, who is a guy who's been to four World Cups, um, mostly the, the previous three as, as a winger, but now he's playing left back, which is not a normal position for him. So he's defending when he's not used to really. And he's just sort of been this strange, like, papering over the cracks that we've done um, tactically. And He's of entire, another era. Totally, he, he was on the fence. Maybe he didn't. He, there was a, there was speculation if, he wouldn't even get on. Yeah, the team. if I had told you four years ago that Demarcus Beasley was going to start two games at left back in the World Cup, you'd think I was crazy. But the fact is, is that the U.S. did an amazing job of helping him out on that flank defensively and really taking a lot of the the job, including Ronaldo, off of his plate. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's so much of soccer is about movement and about job sharing and things like that. Well, with Messi, so back to what I was uh, questioning you guys on with him. When he pulled the trigger there and he kicked it with the left foot, is he known to have an exceptionally good left foot? Yeah, he's known that was a to actually can. have two left feet. Yeah. That's <laughs> what is he well, naturally? He, he can, but you don't know? Yeah, he just he's is a, both. He's, he's, he's ambidextrous. Yeah, he could, I mean, he's ripped some of his best goals with his left foot. His left foot is considered the more powerful foot, but he can use his right as well. I mean, it, most of these players are two-footed in yep. that respect. Did Ronaldo you feel well. like, did you feel though, like, because when I watched that goal, it seemed like the defender was right there with him. And yet I heard a lot of experts say, oh, they gave him too much room. Well, what more could you yeah, do other I mean, than especially actually in, holding him? Also, they've been defending Argentina, one of the best attacking teams in the world, for 90 minutes. I mean, I'd like to see you get closer. But you thought you know that, I mean? that you thought well, that you agreed that he got too much space I there because it didn't look like there was space. I think he had too much space given that he's <coughs> Lionel Messi, who's, you know, the best attacking player in the world, arguably. Um, no, I mean, in such it, close quarters, yeah. It's, it, it seems like you're given for, – for every other player, that's fine. But for Messi, that's too much space. Cause but he, to call it lackadaisical, I think, is a step too far because <laughs> the, the entire game they've been, you know – defending so doggedly at some point you give out at some point you're you're if not physically exhausted your brain starts to drop a little bit so it's tough I think one of the interesting points about earlier in terms of comparisons with Messi and Ronaldo that's interesting uh, and Messi and Pele excuse me is that you know Pele and Maradona previously probably considered the top two players ever um you know Pele played his entire career in Brazil uh you know uh Maradona played in Italy played in Argentina you have players now who Messi and Ronaldo play, you know, in the same league. They both play in La Liga in Spain. Messi plays for Barcelona. Ronaldo plays in Real Madrid. That's really the closest you've ever gotten to having a defined measuring stick between the two where you can be like, okay, who's better, LeBron or Kobe? Because they play in the same league against the same players. But every other point in history, you really didn't have that measuring stick because people played all over the world against different players. And, that, I mean, that's what's so crazy about Messi and Ronaldo. I feel like they're underappreciated just because of how typically people are turned up by Ronaldo's attitude. And, you know, me, especially me being a body language guy. What's I, his I, attitude? He's very pouty. Extremely pouty. Like, you, you know, if he doesn't get the ball, his teammates should pass him more, especially with Portugal. Real Madrid, it's not as bad. But with Portugal, playing alongside players that are not up to his level. So he's very pouty if he doesn't get the ball where he wants it or they're not, you know, playing up to scratch. Um, so, and he'll let you know. However, though, if Messi and Ronaldo were more stateside, more accessible stateside, they would probably be the biggest rivalry in all the sports. Like, I'm sh- they, sh- they are, I would say, on an international level. But even here, where we love rivalries, we love that head-to-head. We love that mano-a-mano. Look, how, look for how long we're waiting on the Kobe versus LeBron finals or Peyton and Tom. Messi and Ronaldo would probably be 
on that level, if not higher, if they were even more accessible to, to well, Americans. Well, by the way, I'm surprised that Mayor Don, you said that Mayor Don is considered the second best of all time. I never had a sense of well, that. Yeah, I remember him scoring the hand of God and all right. that stuff, but I didn't know that he was considered in, to be the second of all I mean, in, in Argentina, history. In Argentina, they consider him the best player of all time. Yep. Better than Messi still? Better, better, than, better yeah. than Messi, better than Pele. In fact, Messi's not actually even the most popular player in a lot of ways in Argentina right now. There's a guy who named Carlos Tevez who's considered sort of the player of the people. He came from you know a really rough upbringing compared to Messi's sort of middle class upbringing, he learned play, he learned about football by playing on the streets, and he's the kind of player where he really you know has this sort of cult following to him that Maradona had. Yep. Um, but Tevez fell out with the coach, yep. uh, the current coach, and uh, some say with all the players, and as a result, he's at, he's at Disney World yep. right now. Actually, is so, that right? Yeah, he's, he's not even in he's the not thing. He's, he's not, not in the squad. The, he used to he used, squad. To, uh, he used to be a Manchester United player. I want to get more into the U.S. stuff La- going forward. Lastly, Go though, ahead. about Maradona, like he's so good and he's reverted so much that. It, like Messi is sort of known as the new Maradona. Like you know, that's they always. Argentina goes through this phase of trying to find the next Maradona, so they call them like the new Maradonas. Like Savioli at one point, Pablo Aymar at one point. Like these guys all get tabbed as the new Maradona. That's like that's like almost like their nickname for a little while to see if they can really step up. Who's but, Maradona's club team? I mean, who's uh, I'm sorry, who's Messi's club team? He plays for Barcelona. I thought I knew. Yeah, that. I think then, I knew that. And then Ronaldo plays for Real Madrid, and and Real yeah. Madrid and Barcelona are eternal rivals, and yep. and that has you know socio political angles. Who does better angles. in that? Well, Real's won the last two. Well, so, so, no, but no, no actually, Atlet- this year, Atletico. Won, yeah, exactly. Right? Atletico Madrid, who's Real Madrid's sort of other rival, the their intra-city rival. Um, they won the league this year, and they won it on the last day at Barcelona. So in a lot of ways, Atletico Madrid was sort of the mutual poison to both clubs this year, which was an interesting thing. Um, I I don't want to be xenophobic and focus solely on the U.S., but, of course, that's what uh, the majority of our listeners have. And I'm sure – I I would imagine that if this is this underdog story that I perceive it to be, how much is the U.S. an underdog at this point? Are they – all right, where, where do they stack up out of the 32? Where would you, if you had to rank them like a college football preseason poll before the tournament, where would you slot them out of the 32? Power rank them. Uh, I mean, it's tough. I'd say we, I'd say if you looked at us on paper, we'd fall somewhere in the middle. Um, we'd probably fall around 16. We're probably about that you know, level in terms of individual strength and star power in the world. Um, Some people would say that's high. Some people would say that's low. But I think the strength that we have now is that we just have, it sounds, you know, it's sort of stereotypical American, but we just don't give up in tournaments. We approach tournaments now very, very well. Um, We haven't lost a group stage game now since the last game of the 2006 tournament. Um, we're hmm. a team who nobody really wants to face because they know our fitness levels are going to be sort of unmatched, not only because we typically approach preseason f- uh, pre-tournament fitness in a very serious way, but also because um, MLS, where a lot of our players play, is only halfway through their season right now. So our players are fresh. Um, and you could sort of see that through the first few games is that we, you know, we weren't fading. Is that right? So the, so the majority of our guys, of U.S. guys, play in no, the MLS? Not the majority. We have, we have, I think, nine players on the squad. But those players occupy positions where typically players tend to tire quite a bit. So, um, you know, Michael Bradley, for instance, and Kyle Beckerman are two, two of our three central midfielders, and they both play in MLS. Um, and so you have them with sort of 15 club games in their legs versus guys who have played, you know, a, a season of 50 games or so. Um, and, and they've been going nonstop since last August. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think, um, you know, we're a decent tournament side and that factors into it. Hold your thought there for a second, Black Tie, because the phone line is ringing, and I think we all know what that means. That's right. Superstar tight end of the Denver Broncos, apparently also a big fan of the beautiful game. It's Julius Thomas. What's the poop, fella? Oh, not much. Uh, just, uh, just enjoying another day. Yeah, you've been watching a lot of football the last uh, – how did you enjoy the weekend? Did you, did you take in the U.S. game? Oh, I did. I um, I've been catching a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was something that I wanted to make sure I I did this World Cup, trying to get more involved in the in the game of soccer. Some of my really good friends keep telling me that I got to get more into it. So I said, this World Cup, I'm gonna take some time and start learning more and start picking it up. And that you feel like uh, you've been successful uh, successful thus far in supporting the U.S. of A. Oh yeah, no question. Um, you know, I will always. I support the the U.S. and uh, I'm a big believer of, of supporting our fellow athletes. And you know, a guy like me that you know never get an opportunity to 
to represent his country and his sport. You know, I think it's great that those guys were able to do that and, and have everybody pull together and root for him. Has any team struck your fancy outside of uh, the red, white, and blue so far, or any player in particular? Well, you know, um, I, I got the memo that uh, Neymar, uh, Ronaldo, and Messi are good guys to, to check out and see what they're <laughs> doing. But, um, you know, uh, Benzema um, and uh, Van Persie are two guys that, you know, I've kind of heard of but never really got the opportunity to see play. And um, they're doing fantastic out there uh, for their teams. So, I think France and, and Netherlands are, are two teams that um, I'm looking forward to learn more about and see more often. I know why. I know why you like uh, the Netherlands, though. Let's be honest. You like that orange. You like their uniforms. They're the same thing as the Broncos, right? <laughs> it, it is a good orange, you know. I, I happen to be a fan of the orange. So, but I just I like the way they play. Um, I think Netherlands and, and Germany uh, do a really good job on set pieces, and I don't know something about seeing that cross come in. And, completing that header is a little exciting for me. Already picking up the lingo, Julius. Have you ever put your head on a soccer ball? Have you ever gone up there and, and headed anything down yourself? I, I never have. Um, the last time I played soccer, I was probably about six years old. I mean, I think every kid played soccer back then and um, never got a chance to go out there and play it again. But uh, I, I can't say that I'm going to go kick the ball around and you know, that's, that's far from my skill set, oh, but I think I appreciate it. I appreciate what those guys are doing. Well, we got to talk about that, though, because I contend, and I know that people from outside the U.S. say, oh, that's typical, ugly American kind of stuff to, to, to claim. But I contend, Julius, that if our best athletes, and some of them probably are soccer players, but listen, LeBron James and Maurice Jones-Drew and Michael Vick and Mike Trout, these guys, if we put them out there and said, hey, train for the next four years, they couldn't do too badly, right? Um, no question. Uh, you know, back in college, you know, you got a lot of people from a lot of different countries, ton of international students, and you get to talking about soccer and you know, they kind of try to pick on us in the, in the U.S. a little bit, but uh, I completely agree with you. Um, uh, like I said, I would like to see Russell Westbrook and Deshaun Jackson up there at forward and striker positions and, and see those guys making some running, some uh, some of those crosses and some of those lead passes. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, as blessed as we are, we have a ton of great athletes in the U.S. And, you know, I think that a little further down the road, I think more guys will start giving soccer an opportunity because, you know, I played with a ton of point guards and I could see flying around out there on the soccer field. So um, I I think we'll we'll continue to see more people uh, give it a shot. Let's hope so. That'd be great. Julius, let's – if the Denver Broncos were a soccer team – in, in this tournament in particular, if they were a World Cup team, who do you think you guys would be? I would think they wouldn't be doing very well. No offense <laughs> to you, Julius, but if we just threw you out there tomorrow, I don't think they would do but so well. If you had an equivalent, Peyton, if you had to pick one Peyton team. in particular would not be good at, oh, at, come at on. soccer. I don't Peyton, with that head, he could, he could adapt to anything. <laughs> I think you guys are right about that. I don't know if uh, <laughs> soccer would be uh, Pete's uh, best calling, but uh, if, I had, if I had to pick a team um, – you know, in soul maybe, or spirit is what you're yeah, asking. Okay. Okay. You're, you're spirit you know, I, I, can, I can go with uh, maybe, you know, I know this is the U.S. opponent uh, coming up next, but I think Germany, you know, they got a good team. Um, they found a way to put the ball in the net a lot. And, and you got a, a old veteran uh, like Robin out there just, just leading his team and um, some good, talented uh, athletes around them. And I, I think that that could kind of be uh, – the Broncos, you know, Peyton, you know, he's our yeah. leader and still playing at a really high level. And, you know, I see Peyton we uh, happen a, to have a lot of talent around him. I, th- I see Peyton as a kind of Miroslav Klose figure, someone who's been around the block for quite a while. He's, you can always count on him, always dependable, can pick the team up. Is that is that sort of your impression playing with Peyton? Well, um, I don't, I don't know the soccer player. That you uh, <laughs> you go too about, far. With some, you're talking, too Julius far. and I don't know everything about the beautiful <laughs> yeah, game yet. We're yeah, trying we're, to get we're up we're to learning. speed. We're learning. We're infants in the in the in the developmental part of uh, learning soccer. So, um, but no, I can't say that uh, Peyton does a great job of being a leader. I think that you know when you, when you play with Peyton, you see how important it is to him. How much uh, being a great team. Uh, means to him and you know I've always said it you know he's the, the one of the hardest working guys out there at practice one of the hardest working guys in the meeting room and, and he demands um, a high level from from everybody in the organization and uh, you know that really sets the tone for us 
I like what Julius uh, – maybe you're on to something here. Just like you, football minds looked at you and said, hey, that guy playing uh, playing basketball out there, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. He could be a good tight end. Maybe soccer guys will start saying, like, hey, point guards in basketball. Let's start stealing those. How about that? Do you think that this is going to be legitimately the start we were talking just a minute ago about the fact that maybe this is? Soccer has risen in popularity over the course of our lifetimes, but do you think it will now enter a different phase and be more focused on once this tournament ends? Um, you know, I, I kind of was wondering about that with the last World Cup and the success of the U.S. And, um, you know, I'm not – quite sure you know i think that basketball and, and football are still probably the sports that kids want to play the most but i mean if you can just get two two guys out of ten to start considering you know maybe maybe it'd be fun to play a little soccer i think that you can really you know start to see it become more recognized and uh, more competitive here i mean with the mls that recognition is is creating a ton of um kind of eye-opening things for kids to see that, you know, there are other outlets. And, you know, I'll be the first to say I know some, some shooting guards that could, that could put their head on some crosses and, and get up and down the field really well when I play basketball. So, you know, I would, I would like to see more people give it a try. I think that, you know, there's only so many guys that can be baseball, basketball, and football players. But, you know, some skill sets I think would fit great in soccer and, um, I would love to see people uh, look to, towards that avenue more often. Um, all right, real quick while we have you, i got to ask you a couple of uh, American football-style questions. And I, so I we'll, those, those those all right, go I'm ahead, like, Black Tie. Go ahead. Ask your question. Jill, I was going to ask you, you mentioned you know, hearing about Neymar, Van Persie, all these guys. I see you've been tweeting about the games, too. If you had to pick who's been the most impressive player to you that you've seen, that this guy just seems to be on another level. He seems to be the Peyton Manning, the Tom Brady of the sport. Who would that be? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I um, speak for Julius when I say that that was a patronizing uh, way you ask that. Julius and I know what you mean when you say who's the most impressive player. You don't have to say football players to make us understand. Not, we got it already. Yeah, we know what you exactly. meant by that. The, um, I think that, uh, I, I don't know, I would have probably said, you know, Van Persie or Benzema yesterday, but I think what uh, – um, Neymar did today was uh, really impressive. Just some of the uh, the passes, the ball control. Um, you know, I like to see those guys when they're out there dribbling, being creative. Uh, for me, I have a ton of respect for people that can do things that I can, and the control they have with their feet. I mean, if you put me out there to soccer the jersey, you'd have to have the uh, the trainer come and get me in about ten minutes. I probably would have rolled across the ball, sprained both ankles. It's a good thing I don't fixate too much on uh, the things that other human beings can do that I can't, or else I would just be curled up in the fetal (laughs) position weeping all day. That's probably where I'd be. All right, but Julius, like I say, it's our trade, Black Tie. This is what we do. We talk about pro football here once in a while. Real quick, how's everything going there, OTAs with the Broncos? How did everything wrap up? Oh, um, I think we had a a great offseason. You know, we kind of have a different look um, as far as our team goes, you know, we brought in a lot of uh, guys in free agency, and I think that we're just really excited, encouraged. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, how do you how do you rebound from having a disappointing Super Bowl, and you know, I think that they don't always realize that that's what that's what makes us the kind of guys we are. That's what makes us great athletes. Is you know, we've had a ton of humbling experiences in our lives but to come back after and say you know what I, I won't let that define me I won't let what what happened to me in my junior year of high school uh prevent me from doing things I want to do in college or what happened in college to keep you from believing in yourself and wanting to be a professional so um I think when something like that happens to competitive people you just you want it more you kind of have that, that feeling that you know I need to show you know kind of what I didn't show in that game. And I think that's what you'll see from us this year. You'll see a bunch of guys that are determined, um, and they kind of have that that extra drive, that extra little, no, no, we'll show you what we're about. That's not going to be the lasting impression that you'll have of our team. And uh, we're excited to get after it. I think that, you know, our team is going to be staying together, believing in each other. And um, I think we definitely have the talent.
Wow, inspirational That's words great. from Julius Thomas. John Fox, we better give you uh, better give you a pulpit on the first day of training camp to share those <laughs> words. Pretty good stuff there. And you have some extra work to do too. You have to mentor uh, my uh, a fellow alumnus from Indiana University, uh, Cody Latimer. He cuts the same figure almost as Julius Thomas does. I assume you're going to have to teach him some of your tricks. But uh, in the meantime, Julius, enjoy your summertime and enjoy the beautiful game. Hopefully, the U.S. moves on to the round of 16. Wait, what do we? call it the knockout round that's what we got to get knockout to. stages yeah knockout stages but uh Something yeah thanks for the time man appreciate it oh yeah no problem thank you guys for having me and i'll, I'll definitely be uh rooting for the u.s on thursday and looking forward to to have a shock the world all right oh, oh we gotta good. say we gotta say oi too right you say oh, yeah, oi to oi. each other on the way out that's sure, what yeah. brazilian people say to each other i guess why not oi oi there he goes julius thomas nice fella really it seems oh, like yeah. he's uh sincere about uh investing in the beautiful game some great guy. yeah completely great guy oh. and also interesting stuff too yeah if this were a pro football interview i would have gotten into monty ball with him some and how the running game's looking at that but that's not what this show's about we'll have plenty of time for pro football talk between now and kickoff in uh in september let's get back to uh to this though and the question i was uh, gonna ask him about the u.s was and now i'll pose it to you guys instead who's been the best U.S. performer. Oh, before you answer, though, I have to say this. Jermaine Jones' goal, phenomenal. And by the way, he's built differently than most soccer players, right? He's like twice as wide as most soccer players. Yeah, he's like a he's, rectangle. He's, he's very linebackery in, in physique. And I feel like a lot of the U.S. guys have wider hips. They're not as slightly <laughs> built as as a lot of footballers. And before Julius called in, I know Zach was, you know, talking about the state of, you know, Team USA and how they're performing right now. I'll be honest, coming into the tournament, I told Zach, I don't see USA making out out of group stage, you know, that I don't think they're that good, but they That's cuz you're a hater. I'm not. I'm just I was telling like it is, but I'm no, I just also like, I just like calling people haters now since I constantly <laughs> get called one for no but, good reason. You know, everybody. just before you know, Portugal equalized. I was, you know, I felt like USA definitely deserved to win. And they, honestly, Germany is a better team, but they have nothing to fear against Germany. They've played organized football. They've played well. They don't have the true legitimate world-class star. They do have Dempsey, who shows he has, you know, bits of class. And Jermaine Jones's goal was great. Who's like, better, Dempsey or out the door? I would Dempsey. Oh, Dempsey. Yeah, Dempsey. I mean, oh, yeah. really? You knew well, that before the thing started, I, you would have said that. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, If well, I said you can only have one or the other, you I'm would taking, definitely have taken Dempsey. Dempsey. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. Dempsey, I, I to me, is the best uh, Team USA player I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, huh. I mean, yeah, it, I think it, it's an interesting question. I think to answer your first one, though, Jermaine Jones, while I would by no means say he's the most talented U.S. player, the most integral U.S. player, he's certainly been the best performer this tournament. They wouldn't be where they are now without him. Why don't they? But my, the reason I asked about him is specifically that goal he scored, it looks, you know, it's a, a sort of like Julius Thomas just said, when you see something you couldn't do mm. and that bend on the ball and that it is outside the post and works it, its way just back inside of it and the goalie had zero chance that to That was stop totally it. intended, by the way, not I'm sure one it of was. those shots you think they just try. Well, listen. My point is, well, you know what? That that addresses what I was going to ask you guys. As I've said before, my strategy, if I were a coach of a soccer team, would be, hey, when you get within, like, you know, 30 yards or so, just uncork it. You guys <laughs> kick it super hard, and it moves all over the place. That's hard to stop. if it's not, And, you know, you can say, oh, that was intentional. Yeah, black tie. But you know what? Ronaldo had some good chances against the U.S. on Sunday, and they, like, sailed, you know, they weren't even anywhere close to the goal. They, they, were, they were 20 feet over the, over the crossbar. So they miss sometimes. They try to do it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Ronaldo has a his, his technique is typically different from most like you know long range shooters. He goes strictly for power for the most part. Just the way he shoots with the you know mostly with the top of his foot. Jones, Jermaine Jones, and like Messi's goal that's curled around the around around the you know around the goal. So they use the side of the foot. It's 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 different in terms of their approach. But, I, I mean, they can't always but pull it But address off. my question. I know it sounds like the most simplistic, dumb thing to say. No, some, but I mean, if, if Jermaine Jones – forget Messi. If Jermaine Jones, who I don't know who he is, if that guy can uncork it like <laughs> that in what seemed like traffic to me, then why aren't guys just trying to unleash it at the goal more? Well, no, I, I mean – they're, they're too fine sometimes. I watch a lot of hockey, and I know they're not the exact same thing, and I know the two goals at either end doesn't mean that it's the same thing. But there is something about, in hockey, 
don't overpass the puck because things are going to go wrong when you pass it from one guy to another guy. It's much easier and cleaner to shoot it yourself. Well, I think, yeah, there's there's definite, um, you know, advantages to being more adventurous and shooting the ball from further out. As you saw sort of in, in 2010, for instance, when we played England, Clint Dempsey, you know, had one of the worst shots he's ever taken in his entire life that dribbled towards the English goalkeeper and ended up, you know, going through his hands and into the net. Uh, things happen when you take shots. There's there's no denying that. I think you do have to work the ball into the box into dangerous positions a lot of times in order to get a clean, you know, a clean look. But I think the interesting thing about Jermaine Jones is he was known for doing this in Germany. Before he committed to the U.S. team, he played for a team called Schalke in Germany. Um, and Basically, all that anyone in the U.S. had seen of him were clips from Schalke, and he was always uncorking the ball from 25 yards out and smashing it in the corner of the net. And we hadn't seen that yet until yesterday, really, and and that was something special. All right, let's talk about the Germany game, and then I want to talk about some of the other teams in here. Thursday is the next big game for the U.S., and I jokingly said on Sunday when Portugal made it 1-0 in the blink of an eye, I said, like, when's pro football season start on Twitter? Because I did feel like if that thing went south— <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see how far, how interested the U.S. fans really are. Will they, will they endure through the U.S. missing the uh, the knockout round? What do you call it? The knockout what? Knockout stages. Knockout stages. Hey, you call it knockout round. That works. Too. I, and by That's the fun. way, I've you know I think here's, 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 16. Ra- 16, yeah, here's my idea. I've I've advanced this notion before. I don't think we did it on the preview of uh, that we did a couple weeks ago. I think once you get past this knockout round, I like ties. I'm, I'm not adverse to ties in sports. Some people, oh, it's kissing your sister. It, if that's the result, that's the result. I can live with it. I don't like that this is everything to these to nations, maybe even including the U.S. If the U.S. gets ahead of steam and what if they got to the round of 16 and they beat some good team and it's like, whoa, we're the one last eight teams? All the world, all America will be tuned in as well as the rest of the world. But I wonder when all this, when everything is on the line like that, why do they go to the penalty kicks? My solution, that's unsatisfying because both teams, once you get to a point as you wind down in regulation, you can feel. I remember watching four years ago and eight years ago. There's a vibe that they've sort of backed off. Both sides back off. Let's just get to the penalty kicks now. Yeah. We don't want to blow it here. And maybe it's individual. I don't want to be the guy who chokes here. I don't want to be the goat forever. And so I'm just gonna. So everybody is incented to just let it advance to penalty time, and or to uh, penalty kicks. And to me, the better idea would be: why don't you just every five minutes or every ten minutes just take a guy off of both teams? Just keep reducing it and reducing it. There's a the the amount of space out there is such that somebody would score fairly quickly. It wouldn't go on forever. There wouldn't be like a two-hour overtime. Somebody would score pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard to say because, well, now hockey's kind of going through the same thing, interestingly, with how you do playoff over, overtime versus regular season. I don't think anyone would, you know, argue that penalty kicks are somehow a fair resolution to this game, especially in, you know, the biggest game on earth. You know, the World Cup final has been decided, you know, two, in 1994, 2006, was decided on penalty kicks. If you could it's, somehow maintain the energy of the game up until that last second. Right. Like, all right, now we have no choice but to go to penalty kicks. But like I say, you can feel both teams shut down right. even before regulation's over. They, yeah. they don't want to do anything yeah, you don't be, in the yeah, overtime. You don't as a, a kid, by the way, as a kid in, in youth soccer, there were tournaments where, like, it's sort of the Wild West of youth soccer where they, they did drag a kid off every five minutes in extra time, and you'd suddenly end up with six players against six players, and someone would score just because the the amount of space yeah, on the field. Right. I, I think it would be a great experiment. I think now, though, it's become so ingrained penalty kicks have in sort of the architecture of soccer and how tournaments are won and lost that, you know, it's, it's something that people hate when you lose them. And it's something that you only endure because of when you win them, uh, it's a strange phenomenon. And they've gone on forever. They've always been in the world cup penalty I, kicks. They've, yeah. As far I as mean, I know. Yeah. And it, and it, I'm not sure when they were instituted in the, the rules of the game. It's by far the most agonizing 15 or so minutes in all the sports. Even it is when very exciting. It's, There's it's, no doubt about that. It, it can be absolutely dreadful, but the excitement, the nervousness, I don't think it's something you give up. I'm used to it. It's part of the culture, like Zach said. I, I just think it's something you have to ride with. And What's interesting about it, like you say, is it's nerve-wracking be because you can feel, because from what I gather, um, you, if you are in that position, if you're one of the five guys on one of these great teams, if you're on Argentina or Brazil or whoever. What I love about that, by the way, real quick, is that 
players, a lot of the times, some coaches, they have their five takers. A lot of times, some coaches will leave it up to the players to decide, oh, who's stepping up? Who's going to take these kicks? Because sometimes guys get scared. They get nervous. And you, you want to wait. You want to see who's going to volunteer, you know? And, and, and sometimes that sort of plays into the order as well. Like, Ronaldo typically is a guy who goes first. And some guys want to go last just in case, you know, it's on them. Some guys want to go first so they start it off right. So I like the fact that players have to step up. It's almost like in football, like, you know, if it was overtime and Peggy Man has to step up and is like, okay, I want to take the first snap. Like, it's a nice little, you know. I Yeah, and what, but what, I, what, it, what it's sort of like, if you're on Argentina and you're one of those five guys, you are supposed to make it. It's not like it's a, a 50-50 thing. You to. are supposed yeah. to bury that. And so it's sort of like a better version. Figure skating, I, I always say, what you're watching for is because we have the same level of knowledge about figure skating as we do soccer, probably the average American. What you're watching for is are they going to fall? You know, you're, you're not watching to see if they can do it. You're watching to see if they don't fall. The, the absence of failure is what you're or, – or, you know, poor – and so from that perspective, it is it is when you know the uh, the importance of this tournament to everybody. And I'll tell you this. Maybe there's something to American males – American male heterosexuals are more closed off emotionally than the average man is. I think that, you know, that it's striking the way – Oh, like I say, you know how they're, they're very casual on the field when the play gets 20 feet away from them. They'll sort of stop running or they get that little mini jog going. They also, the goalie and a player who helps them get the ball out of trouble, they hug in the middle of the play. Like the, the ball's going the other way and they're hugging. What, what are you doing? The game's going on, fellas. Save that for a stop here. You can't win enough time for that, Jazz. Well, my, fa- my favorite thing about the World Cup is – in. But you can see, but my point is, so those moments of euphoria and all the nonsense of the pain and the ridiculous acting and everything, um, all that, but you can also see on their faces, some guys, when they're checking into the game, I, there's an ashen look to them that is like, oh my God, this is this is horrifying. I have to go into this game right now. I, I, hope, I hope I don't screw it up. Yeah, but there's, there's emotional power on both ends. I mean, a lot of times to tie it into penalty kicks, I remember the African Cup of Nations uh, a few a few tournaments ago, there was a penalty shootout to decide it all, and it's happened in World Cups as well. This is just the most recent example that TD might interface with uh, with his Nigeria Super Eagles. Um, it came down to it. It was a it down to penalty kicks. It was a very tense game, and the two goalkeepers just before the kicks went, just hugged each other and just went, all right, yeah, they good do luck that, out there. Yeah. It's they, not, sometimes they hug, sometimes they do. shake each other. It's like, all right, well, this is it. It's, I mean, it's just a, it's a brotherhood at that point of, of goalkeepers because you yeah. know what the other person's up against, and it it's really luck of the draw, yeah. yeah. And speaking of goalkeepers, the Spanish goalkeeper is responsible for He just was terrible. No, I mean, this is, this is the hyperbole of the World Cup. It's like how everyone's on Michael Bradley's back for us. Michael Bradley's the most talented field player for the U.S. He's, you know, is he? he's by far our best performer over he the past five years. He doesn't look like years. it. If What's I have the eyeball, no, I, I don't mean because of anything he did. I just uh. mean he's got that kind of wide hip, pale complexion, bald head. <laughs> Mr. He Clean. looks like, ah, well, we have no, he'll play. All right, get, all right, you can play, you can play. Yeah. Uh, get, come on in. No, I mean, he's a tremendous player, and the same thing with Iker Casillas, but over the past, you know, Spanish goalkeeper over the past three seasons or so hasn't even played regularly for his club team. Um, and so he's a guy who already is on shaky, you yep. know, footing with with the national media and with a lot of the fans, and he sort of is seen as having undue reverence by a lot of people by the national setup. But he's a guy who also makes tremendous saves. I think the thing that hurt him was that he is oftentimes off of his line, so he he strays from the goal mouth quite a bit. And that first goal, one of the best goal, maybe the best goal of the tournament, um, Robin Van Persie's amazing header for Holland that you know, equalized the game at 1-1 with Spain, uh, he was off his line. And while it was an incredible goal, it was something where the Spanish media was able to say, aha, there there we go again, hmm. same old, you know, Iker straying off the line. And, you know, it, it's absurd for him to get the brunt of the criticism in what was a monumental and epic collapse, collapse. by the entire team. So, And that's easily the biggest upset. England it, does not compare. No. Yeah, no, no I, I mean, I think Costa Rica also has a – you know, a claim to this. They're in England's group. They actually play England uh, tomorrow. But they, uh, you know, Costa, Costa Rica's already upset Uruguay and um, and Italy. And being sort of an American soccer fan, we've seen them in qualifying. Uh, we beat them in one of the most epic games I've ever seen where it was snowing everywhere in Denver. Um, and then we went to Costa Rica and they just throttled us. Um, and they're an incredibly talented team that's really disciplined and has 
all their players are are such awesome players on the ball. Their technique is so incredible. And I think it really surprised a lot of people that this team from Costa Rica could do all that. And so I think that's that's definitely up there in terms of surprises. And it's given our region, the sort of North American, Central American, and Caribbean region, uh, a lot of respect. So who's going to win based on the quality of play so far? Who's who's Brazil has not been great so far, right? They had a best game today. Remember here Monday. On Monday. They played, but they played against Cameroon, which, which has been the worst team of the tournament so yeah. far. And so, but they had their best game, so that's good for them. However, though, I do think the Netherlands are cream of the crop right now. They're clicking all cylinders, especially in you know offensively in attack. Iron Robin and Robin Van Persie off the charts, and you know they have some youngsters as well showing up. Um, other than that, I mean the clear cut favorites. Other than them, I don't know. Argentina like, hasn't been I mean, good either, right? Well, they've Argentina's been yeah, been, they've, they've been sputtering as well. Yeah. It's hard to say with with the Netherlands. They won both their games in the last in pretty much the last yeah. five minutes with Messi. Goals. Exactly. I mean, the, the Netherlands is an incredible team, um, but they're always going to sort of the the historical knowledge of them is that they're always going to fail um, oh, at, yep, at yep. some hurdle somewhere. They're going to have a performance, no matter how convincing they seem. They're going to yep. have a performance that is regrettable and that exposes them. Um, you can only you can even think back to the European Championships in 2008, most recently, where they played three games. Their their opening three games against, uh, I believe, it was France, Italy, and Romania. They were phenomenal, so so good. And then they went up against Russia, who out of nowhere just you know tore them apart. So you know they have Mexico next in the round of 16, and I think they're a little bit nervous about that because Mexico's a team with a high motor and, and they're very high energy. They play the ball around quite quickly. Who's better, U.S. or Mexico? Um, I, it's about. Even, I mean, I think this qualifying cycle, we were by far the better team. But Mexico has just somehow come together come together for the tournament. I don't know if you know this, but Mexico is actually indebted to us because the only reason they're at the World Cup is because we scored a goal for them. Basically, the U.S. had to go down to Panama and win a game so that Mexico could get in the World Cup. And everyone was saying we should lose intentionally. We should bury them. They shouldn't be in the World Cup. It would be a great one to get over our rivals. And we actually, I would love that. We should yeah, have but, done that just out of just for the sense of, like you say, rivalry. Yeah, would be but fun. well, what's more American though than showing up when you know you don't need to and just doing it out of the good of the game? So we we went down to Panama and we scored two. Uh, goals at the very end of the game. I've gone, I've gone south of the border once or twice in my life. They've shown some good times to the yeah, Americans totally. when they didn't have to. So, so right. So I guess it's uh, it's, know, even. it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. It's fair. Um, what about uh, last thing is about Germany then? Sure. Because when but when we did the preview, you guys were both very hip on Germany. Yeah. So they destroy Portugal in the first game, and then. They Ghana has their backs to the wall because Ghana has to win or has to get a point out of that mm-hmm. game or they're done. So are we too quick to just sort of – can the U.S. realistically – what I'm getting at is can they realistically play with Germany who is as good as Portugal is perceived because of Ronaldo and all that and Ghana was a, a physically rugged sort of bunch from what I gathered in you know listening in hindsight, watching the game and after the fact – it seems to me Germany is the best team. They should kill the U.S. Or not kill, but they should beat the U.S., Yeah, I mean, right? if, if you play the game on paper, absolutely. I think it's just one of those things, though, where if, if this World Cup can contribute any lesson to sort of the wider global soccer community, it should be that on any given day, anyone can show up. And I know that sounds banal and cliche, but it's true. I mean, we've had so many upsets already. We've had teams like Iran, you know, with their backs against the wall, play such phenomenal defense, you know, against the best player in the world and one of the best attacking teams in the world. With us, we have a history with Germany where, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann was obviously a star for the German national team and coached them in 2006. Does that mean anything? It means a lot because the current manager, uh, Yogi Love of uh, Germany is... Uh, Jürgen's Seems like former. we should trade coaches. Yogi Love sounds like he's from uh, Huntington Beach. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get tons of tweets from Germany about my horrible pronunciation. But he uh, he was Jurgen's former understudy in 2006. So in some ways, people have said that you know Jurgen was sort of a figurehead in 2006 tournament, and that it was Love that was actually the one who was coming up with the tactics mm. and who was really training the team. And you know, tons of players have have split sides on that argument. But the main thing is that he, there's a baseline familiarity with the team, with the way they play, with the personnel that Jurgen has that works in our favor. The other thing is that last summer we played them in Washington D.C. And granted, it was their second team, but it was a lot of our second team too, and we beat Germany four to three. Um, so. You How know, could that it, matter? It, Second team, well, and that's and that's the thing, though. It's that's like our JVs play. There's no right, and so and so. I, it's it's incomparable. It's apples to oranges. But in soccer, there is something to be said for that level of getting over the hump. 
of not being afraid of who you're playing. Here's the thing I can't get around or that I'm, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm, I'm grappling with as I watch the games. You can feel that there is a collective strategy from the team. This is what the team is looking to do, and this is the way they want to play. And yet there is individual responsibility and breakdown that decides almost everything. Yeah. You know, the, the U.S. gives up the goal to Portugal early in the game on just a terrible play. I don't need to watch soccer very much to know, wow, that guy just whiffed the ball. He picked his leg up and it went and bounced yeah. off his leg. He didn't mean that to happen. And all of a sudden it's one nothing and it's over. But the, so, there's so there's such certainty in the broadcaster's voice. Well, that's that. They're, now the U.S. is doomed. They're down 1-0. <laughs> so, but there's this, this, there's this fatalism in the broadcast that I, I, you know, I don't assume it's just the two guys up in the booth. It is the, the nature of the game. And yet there's always the chance that, well, somebody's just going to whiff it. And, and yet yeah. they never acknowledge that. And it's weird. They're it's, just sort of like, well, it's, they, you're up one nothing, for, and, and they're only 20 minutes left. Forget this one. You know, the, yeah, it's like, well, it could happen at any time. Yeah, it seems like it happens. It's the, it's the cruelty of, of, you know, the sport that's termed the beautiful game. And I think that that's part of its beauty in a lot of ways is that, you know, there is a collectivism to it down to the last link in the chain. The fact that, you know, one marking mistake or alternatively one moment of brilliance can decide a match. I mean, this World Cup has been so noteworthy because there's been so many last-minute goals and last-minute, you know, just craziness in general. Um, And, you know, you can be on both sides of that. They can happen because someone does something good or someone does something bad. But regardless... You know the, the fatalism is is sort of half-hearted because everyone knows in the back of their head that you got to play until the last minute, and if you don't, then you're going to give up one of those goals. All right, let's wrap it up. Two quick things. First of all, tell me best goal. What is wow. the golden goal? So is that the one? Golden, that, golden, golden goal is a former. Uh, it was it was the way they used to do extra time. So it it meant sudden death overtime. Essentially. Oh, it's no. That's right. They yeah. don't do sudden death overtime. See, that, that yeah. was real anxiety. Uh, that was yeah. real anxiety because what golden goal was was that whoever scored the golden goal won. So it was sudden death. Was just, and, and why stop that? It was too much. It, it, was, it was absolutely too much anxiety because what teams would do, I mean, you're talking about penalty kicks or how teams would sort of settle in the last five minutes and stop playing because they knew penalties were coming. Well, with the golden goal rule, teams would, would, just they like, would they would play extremely safe because no one wants to be the guy who gave up the golden goal because – that's it. You'll be done there and there. So the yeah. I love the idea it was too of brutal. being it was so too scared brutal. that it overwhelms you. You can't even really go <laughs> through with the game. Brutal. Even just watching it, it was just such a nightmare. All right, so who's the best goal so far? I'll go with somebody who knows nothing. I will say, well, I like that Jermaine Jones one was pretty good. I'll goal. say the messy one because of as I, going off of this, I talk all the time when it comes to pro football and any other sport. Yes, underdogs are great, and that is a great element of following sports and understanding the unlikelihood of of a result, and and when you watch it, it feels special. To me, though, something that endures beyond an upset is greatness in the most critical moment. When your life is built on the premise, your career is built at least on the premise, you are the man, and you're the best in this sport, and maybe the best of all time, all that kind of stuff. And you did. So all that pressure, everybody's looking to you, and then you do it. I thought that was great when Messi, the game, it was like, this is going to be a national humiliation for Argentina. They're going to tie this game against, who was it, Iran? Oh, right. it, was yeah, Iran. Iran. it was like, oh, this, this is ridiculous. This shouldn't happen. And then he just makes it all go away with that, uh, with that left. That's, and that's why the World Cup has been so great, because you've had multiple moments like that. Messi's two goals have been like that. Um, Neymar playing today and Monday, like, granted, again, it was against Cameroon, but he comes up with two big goals and some great play. Even Ronaldo had a bad game against USA on Sunday. He makes that fantastic. That cross. was just a great play. We shouldn't. Americans shouldn't be like, "Oh, we blew it. We choked." That wasn't no, a choke. That was just a cross play. right finish. where it needed yeah, to be. Brilliant. And you know, you know, and he, you know, the Portuguese striker Valverde. He made the great cut onto the ball, net, put it where it needed to be. It was great. So that's why the World Cup has been so good because you've had moments like that where teams and players are just stepping up. For me, though, best goal I have to go Team Cahill. Team Cahill, oh, yeah. the Australian forward, he had. A great volley and volley, you know, obviously bows in the air before before he even hits the ground. Left footed strike, great placement. And I, I tweeted that's almost like catching an alley oop in the air and doing a three sixty. You know, and it it was so ridiculous because it's it's a quick it's a quick move. He did it right on time and great goal. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue with either of those. I think for me, I, to kind of go with maybe a more indie choice, um, Harris Seferovich for uh, Switzerland scored an injury time winner in their opening game against Ecuador. And the thing that made that great for me was that it was sort of a, a, a trio of unheralded players that made it happen who have had you know, great club seasons and great careers for the national team and, you know, haven't really gotten their due. But even more than that, they defended a corner kick, um, I believe it was, came down the other way, and there was a foul on the play against, I think it was Valon Berami. He, he got tripped over, he fell on the ground, and instead of blowing the whistle, the referee played advantage. So he said, you know, basically... Uh, the if, yeah, the advantage rule, which is, yeah. you know, if, if this play doesn't come to fruition, we'll call it back, you'll get a free kick. But everyone kept playing. And he went down the field, he passed it out to the wing, um, and then uh, Rodriguez played it in for, for Seferovic, who slammed it home, and it was in the last minute, and everyone went insane. And I think it would just sort of typify what this World Cup has been about, which is a bunch of teams not giving up, a bunch of players stepping up who maybe haven't been given their due. And then, you know just complete unbridled rapture at an injury time winner. So, yeah, it's been fun. Last two, and then we're done. Will the U.S. be in the round of 16? I would say before let's like go on this, I would say yes. A lot needs to happen for Team USA not to be in round 16. They they need Ghana to be Well, what Portugal. it really has to do – no, no, no. They need – They need Ghana. No, no, no. Well, they want Portugal to beat Ghana is what they want. Fair enough. But it, Portugal – for example, Portugal has to beat Ghana by – Three goals, and then Team USA has to lose by two. Yeah, it has to be an it overturn has to be of five goals. Five goals. And, and but if Ghana, I mean, if Ghana wins by multiple goals or we lose by multiple goals, you know, we're done. So it, it, I, it's I would tricky. say if I, I've, I had to put odds on it, I would say it's 50-50. I've done really well so far by being extraordinarily pessimistic about the United States and being surprised. I would love to, you know, Keep stay going. down that road and, and you know, I would, not believe. I would put it in about 80%. A lot has to I'm, go wrong. Here's what I'm picking. 3-1 Germany. Not because that's the result I want. I just feel like everything yeah, I've heard about sounds, is how good Germany that's is. pretty solid. And the U.S. has had two better-than-expected results. I feel like they're going to crash a little yeah. bit. Plus, in that sweltering heat, a, a one less day to, to, to uh, rebound than yeah. what Germany's had. And like I say, they're a little over their heads, and that 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 uh, last second goal probably you know dashed their dreams a little bit. It's a little bit of a gut punch. I think they're it's going to come down to relying on the result against yeah. Portugal or the Portugal. And I think they'll. I, I'm going to stray from the pessimism really quick. I'm going to say we'll lose. I do think we'll lose to Germany. Um, how bad could Portugal? How you know? I think Portugal's going to save us. I really do. I agree. I, I do it's, think Portugal's at least going to uh, tie with Ghana, or but I don't think they're three goals better than Ghana. True, but uh, yeah. what a phenomenal team Ghana is. I'm yeah, sorry no, to ask. Ghana if really Ghana, I know we've gone over this, though. I, or I, I can read up on this. If Portugal and Ghana tie, we lose to Germany, then the only way we don't, we're done? No, we're fine. We're if fine. Portugal and Ghana tie, we're, we're through. Because Portugal, oh, right. They'll yeah, only have so two points apiece. Right. So, oh, perfect. Yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of hope that they remain deadlocked. They sort of cancel each other out. And we asked Julius Thomas this a while ago. Now I ask it to you to wrap things up here. Have you? Will you modify your pre World Cup picks, or are you standing by them? Who's who's going to win this thing when it's all said and done? Well, I had Portugal in my final four. Obviously, that was <laughs> wrong because I do think they're a couple of days away from being away. Uh, to defend Ronaldo, he is clearly not fit right now, and that's that team is lacking a lot. So, I would go with Argentina still. I just think Messi in general is just too brilliant. And Netherlands, I do think they step it up. I would still stick with Brazil, even though they haven't been great. And my last, four, my fourth team will be, I'm going to go for a wild card here. I'm going to go uh, Costa Rica. He stole my thunder. I was wow. going to make a ju- I was going to say Costa Rica is going to win it all and have you guys freak out and then <laughs> tell you I was kidding. Um, I'm going to stay with Germany. I think that they're – they sort of have everything. I think the Miroslav Klose goal, who's who he uh, equaled the World Cup record goal record. We spoke about him on the first half of the podcast. Um, you know, I, I think that was a really symbolic moment, but it was also a, a very key moment for them as a team because it shows that they have an out and out striker. They haven't been playing with a true striker really Vintage in this tournament. Closer, yeah. yeah, who's who's always reliable, someone who you can just chuck in the game and he's going to do it for you. And I he's think like that's a what, vulture. He's like the he's like soccer version yeah. of a, of a fantasy vulture that you know running back mm. on third and goal who just comes in and steals the points from your starting. And you need it back. in a World Cup. Yeah, I mean, like totally. in a World Cup, you need someone who you can count on to to come into a game and change it. I feel, and we talked about this in the preview. I now realize, watching it and seeing how intense the fans are and everything, I can't imagine there's a better 
one to root for than Argentina v. Brazil. If that could be the final, we'd, we'd be in heaven. Yeah, That'd I mean, be it would so be, much fun it would to be watch. A, a very fun. I, I, I got to be honest. But, but people, I mean, it would be insane. It wouldn't yeah. be fun. It would be it, fun. Wouldn't be the word for it. It would be loco uh, in a way that could, has any sporting event ever been. Could start a war. I mean, it would be right. I mean, has there ever been like? I mean, did 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 Germany and France ever play one another next Uh, in one of those countries? Central America, there's been there's been some quote unquote soccer wars for sure that have spilled over. But I think to be honest, Brazil's going to have a tough time in the round of 16 because they've got Chile, and Chile has been the most impressive team in this tournament. I think. I I would say say Netherlands have been the most impressive. Oh yeah, I mean Netherlands won today, but I guess what I'd say to that is that you know Chile today really took their foot off the gas. I think by design in a lot of ways. Pretty all much. right. Well, listen, enough's enough. I think we've said it all or as much as I'm capable of saying on the <laughs> subject. And uh, you guys, I know, have uh, there's plenty of meat left on the bone for you. That's why I say I don't know if the U.S. advances and maybe if they don't, maybe in another fortnight or so we can reconvene and do maybe another do one an of extra these time. We had a first half. This is a second half podcast. No, and maybe, maybe we'll do a no gold to goal, 30 though. minutes. If someone makes a good point, then we have to end it. Yeah. That would be unfortunate. Ooh, that's fun. That's fun. Go. Well, it won't come from me because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, Julius Thomas knows what he's talking about at least a little bit more than I do. We appreciate his time and uh, wish him well as he gets ready for uh, pro football style kickoff. And uh, thanks to Black Tie, thanks to the Gold Standard, and don't thanks to Sarah. Don't usually do this, though. Thanks to Sarah, who helped book, the, book uh, Julius Thomas there. Appreciate it, Sarah. But don't usually do this, but if you want more Socket Thoughts analysis, be sure to follow at that What's your you plug? Oh, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, um, I'm at that damn Yank on Twitter, and um, yeah, I'm writing for the Metro. If you guys want to check that out, oh for yeah. The World Cup. How? What's the website for that? The uh, Metro. Metro.co.uk. Yeah, and I'm the uh, I'm there mainly their U.S. Uh, based report. Oh, fantastic. Good for you. I'm not Thank as you. deep and analytical as Zach is in terms of soccer, but I do give my thoughts as well yeah. at Producer TD. This I like how Black Tie says, I don't usually do this. Well, I, don't. I know. Why this can't you ever promote time. anyone else who's on the show? This you is can the never, first time You've ever. never given. None of the, no one who's on the show. I I don't usually do this, but uh, at Julius Thomas. <laughs> well, why, why, why wouldn't you make that a regular thing? Oh, my goodness. It's nice. We'll work it in. Thanks, Let's start guy. working promotions into the show on a regular basis. All right, listen. Good times, fellas. And uh, we'll be back with more American-style pro football talk for you later in the week. In the meantime, thanks so much, football and football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you pull up to game night in the all-new Camry, but it's actually bingo night. Mini golf, anyone? It's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota. Let's go places. Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com.